The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. This is Rainmaker FM, the digital marketing podcast network. It's built on the Rainmaker platform, which empowers you to build your own digital marketing and sales platform. Start your free 14-day trial at rainmakerplatform.com. These are the Writer Files, a tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers. From online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Cal Reed, writer, podcaster, and mediophile. And each week, we'll discover how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. The best-selling author of The Art of Work, A Proven Path to Discovering What You Were Meant to Do, Jeff Goins, stopped by for a marathon return to the writer files to cap off 2015. It really is the longest interview I've ever done. His popular blog, GoinsWriter.com, offers free tips on writing and creativity to help writers build an audience, get attention, and learn what it takes to turn pro. In addition to being an entrepreneur, speaker, consultant, and author of four books, Jeff hosts the Portfolio Life podcast, where he shares ideas to help listeners pursue work that matters and discover their true voice. Join us for this two-part interview. If you missed the first half of the interview, you can find it on writerfiles.fm and in the show notes. In part two of the file, Jeff Goins and I discuss why your best ideas are worthless until you act on them, the spirituality of writing, why you can't wait for the muse to inspire you, how Hemingway got famous from stealing, and great writing advice for the new year. Yeah, absolutely. I would 100% agree. That recharge leisure time is uh, really necessary, especially for, for highly productive and highly creative artists. Yeah. Well, I don't want to keep you from writing, but uh, do, you want to, <laughs> do you want to answer a few more questions? I do. No, I, yes, of course I do. Okay. You're, not keep, you're not keeping me from writing. I was just, that was just an example. Okay, good. For a less disciplined writer who's put it off to the last hour <laughs> of the day, hypothetically speaking, that would be the scenario. All right. Well, let's, let's, uh, I'd love to pick your brain about creativity. I know that you, you know, you d- do talk a lot about creativity in your own work and, you know, I love the message of the art of work and, and the marriage of mythology and, and kind of awakening and, but cre- it seems like creativity is, is something you come back to quite a bit in that kind of iterative process of kind of, um, finding your 
path, uh, so to speak. But yeah. how, do, how do you personally define creativity? I think that creativity is sharing your gift with the world. I, I like the, uh, I Googled creativity. Um, don't, I read this don't ever do that. <laughs> um, it was interesting. Uh, there is a, um, there's like a social psychology definition of creativity, which is, um, yeah. uh, me, I check sent me, I's done some really great research on, it. I love his work on flow and creativity. And he has a book called creativity, which is very, very interesting. Big fan of it. Um, and, you know, but it's basically taking, introducing something new to a field that um, changes the field. That's what what's what researchers call capital C creativity, yeah. um, which I think is cool. I, I love that. I, I aspire to do work that, that does, I mean, that's like Hemingway changed literature because people thought differently about the way they wrote. And to this day, um, you know, will compare their work to his. So that's, I mean, you know, I, th that's an example. Einstein changed the field of physics in, in a creative way, introduced something new that changed the way people interacted with that domain in the future. Um, but for me, to be creative, uh, I think means um, not just to do new things or make things, but to share your your gift with the world. I mean, that's that's what I keep coming back to. I think that's creativity. Um, that it's, that's certainly my mission, my why I want to share my gift with the world and I want to see other people do the same and try to help them if I can. And when do you feel most creative yourself? I feel most creative when I'm not trying to be creative, which <laughs> I think is kind of typical. Um, yeah, I was, um, I read that book, uh, imagined by Jonah Lair, which was a great book until he got accused of plagiarism and it was still a great book. It just, you know, some things weren't true in it, unfortunately. But there was really interesting neuroscience in, in it about why you get ideas in the shower and why you get ideas when you go for walks. And it's because your brain works better when it's like working in the background. I can't even remember like the, the neuroscientific reasons for it. Yeah. But I, I remember reading it going, oh, like, like this, it's not ironic. It's science. Like it, it makes sense that um, when when your when your brain is under a lot of stress, when your body is under a lot of stress, it doesn't perform as well. Mm -hmm. And um, on one, so on one hand, I'm going, well, maybe I shouldn't have a deadline anymore. Uh, you know, I, you know, like I seem to do my best work when I have to. On the other hand, what I've realized is that I, I still need a deadline, but I have to <clears throat> create margin. Basically, create little mini deadlines to be more creative. So for me, it's two things. I am most creative when I don't have to be, which is why I devise that three-bucket system. My best ideas come to me when I don't need them, <laughs> when yeah. it's not writing time and it's like walk the dog time or shower time or watching TV time with my wife. My wife gets mad at me because it, like I'm in a movie or I'm at church and I'll pull out my phone. She goes, that is very rude. <laughs> and I'm like, I just had a great idea. I got to write it down because I've, I've lived through enough life to know that it doesn't come back and I don't remember it. And so I used to just completely check out, hang on, I got to go write this thing. And it would, you know, disrupt my whole day. Now I just make a note. And um, I, she still kind of says, put that away. Uh, but, she, you know, she gets it. She understands it. I'm going to write this, like three seconds. Let me write this down and I'll come back to it tomorrow morning. 
So I think creativity is two things. One, it's capturing those ideas. And then two, it's, it's working those ideas out. So I feel most creative when I get the idea, but the idea in and of itself is almost worthless. It's good, you know, but it, but it almost doesn't matter until I flesh it out and try to, you know, get it out there in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel very similarly about kind of the idea of capturing peace. I think, uh, for me, it's like when I'm in a crowded place when it, that's very loud or, or when there's lots of things going on, I think it's something about that chaos order from chaos, um, or being distracted enough to, for your brain to kind of have its own, do its own thing instead of forcing it to be creative or something. So you, you feel more creative, like, like when you're in a crowd of people and there's sort of this like ambient crowd noise. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I've that. always had the most, like the most, uh, revelations or at least ideas kind of come to me when I've been like on a subway or in the middle of a, like a really crazy busy restaurant, um, where you're kind of lost in a, in a, in a chaotic setting. Um, but then all of a sudden it's like your brain has, is, is distracted enough for the, the kind of the background stuff to, um, percolate up to the surface. I don't know if I'm, I, I agree. I mean, it's, um, I feel that way too. And, uh, sometimes it's just like, I'm sort of overwhelmed and I'm, I'm like this, like either a closet introvert or a bad extrovert. I, I, I don't know, but I'm right on the line when I write those <laughs> tests. And so I like being around people, but I'm bad around people at the same time. And so when I'm around, around a large group of people that I don't know, there's this, you know, need to sort of withdraw. And, and in that withdrawal um, instinct, I, I do get this sense of like, gosh, I have all these ideas right now. I could go right, you know, I could go, you know, capture this. And, and I feel it is interesting. I felt this a lot at church recently and we go to this church where there, you know, of over a thousand people and it's in sort of this like stadium. It's a lot of people. I've never really gone to a church that, that's this big. And I feel that a lot when I'm there because hmm. there's this, there's this anonymity there, right? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I could, just, I could just withdraw and do something and I feel really energized by it for some reason. And so I was like, well, nobody knows what I'm doing. So I pulled up my phone and started, you know, writing something and then, you know, like put it away and uh, try to pay attention to the sermon and pull it out and did some more things. And at the end of the service, this woman sitting next to me, this young woman says, hey, are you Jeff Goins? And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> I did not set a good example of paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I'm not. I'm just. Uh, <laughs> just uh, look like him. Just the guy from Harry Potter. <laughs> Um, well, I know that Dan Pink, when he was on the show, scoffed at this question and we may have already, um, ruled this one out, but do you have a creative muse? I mean, it could be a metaphorical muse, of course. What does a scoff sound like? Cause I think it sounds like, oh. it's like, a, yeah, somewhere it's halfway between a cough and a fill in the blank. Vomit. I, vomit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love, uh, the war of art, Stephen Pressfield, we talked about him. Yeah. Uh, uh, love that. People will go, oh, like your book, The Art of Work is a spin on that. I go, well, there's a book called The Art of War that's like a thousand years old and we're both borrowing <laughs> from that, just so you know. Um, but uh, he talks about this. He believes in the muse. I kind of do too. I mean, like I'm a spiritual person. I was just talking about church. Um, you know, I do believe in God and, um, 
uh, I think, you know, to, be, to believe in creativity um, is to open yourself up to something other, you know, and I don't, I try not to get too frou-frou about this because I'm a pretty practical guy, but the most creative people I know, uh, the, the people who do the best work, when we just sit down and we're, we're, we're getting real with each other, we all agree, almost all of us, um, I think, when you sit down and you do your work, it is both hard and beautiful. Uh, it is both practical and mysterious. And, and for most of us, and I, and I fit this category, when you sit down and you start doing it, something emerges from it, something bigger than you. And you go, how did that happen? Like, where did that come from? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure that there's lots of different ways to explain it. If you know, I, you can call that the muse, you can call that God. I like that when I write and I'm in the zone, I reach, I reach another level of consciousness uh, where the work that comes out of me, I, I almost don't recognize it. Mm-hmm. And people have told me, oh, remember when you wrote that thing? You know, especially in a book, because I feel like a book is. It's deep curated work. A blog, you know, Twitter, these things can be off the cuff. You're trying to be clever. And, and you can write, do good work on, on the blog too. But this kind of work comes out of books a lot because I'm writing it, I'm rewriting it, I'm thinking about it, I'm you know, trying to dig deep in a topic. And people will tell me, oh, I read this thing and it made me think such and such. And I was like, I said that? Really? Like people will tweet things and go, that sounds really good. And they're quoting me. And I go, <laughs> I'm so humble. <laughs> you know, like you're like, why? like, where does this come from? And, um, I don't know, but I trust that when I, when I sit down at the keyboard and I do it enough times, something, you know, kind of mystical does happen. I have a friend, Marion Roach Smith wrote a book called the memoir project, which is a great short little read for anybody who wants to write narrative nonfiction or just learn how to tell better stories. And she told me once, she said, um, she said, writing is not mystical, but it's spiritual. And I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Like, and, and she sort of likened it like this, like there's something other that happens to it, but it's not mystical in the sense that like the muse comes visits you, fills you up with air, and then you go, go do this thing. Uh, I wrote a blog post once called um, What is Inspiration or Where Does Inspiration Come From? And, there, and, and there's this guy who does um, video podcasts, video podcasts, <laughs> Yeah, um, he does videos on YouTube like every day. I think his name is Wheezy Waiter, one of those big big time YouTuber guys. And he talked, yeah, it's called Wheezy Waiter, W-H-E-E-Z-Y, waiter.com. And he does a YouTube video every single day. He says, um, he talks about inspiration and um, the muse and he kind of um, makes fun of it. And he says, look, I, I, make, I make videos when I'm drunk. I make videos when I'm hungover. I make videos when I'm happy, when I'm tired, when I'm asleep. You know, like I make videos all the time. I do it all the time, even when I don't feel like doing it. And they're really good videos, you know? And, and so I think that I'm hesitant to say, oh, I believe in the muse because a lot of people I talk to, like it's an excuse not to do the work. Mm-hmm. And there is no excuse not to do the work. But I think when you do deep work, something beautiful emerges from it. I don't know if that's the muse. I think that's, that is sort of the spirituality to writing that I think is wonderful. I think it's beautiful. Uh, it doesn't happen every time or all the time when it does happen. I go, wow, that was amazing. That wasn't me. And when it doesn't happen, I go, this was fun. Like I still did my job. Mm. And, uh, so I like, you know, Stephen Pressfield, even Elizabeth Gilbert, she talks about this. Um, yeah, I think when you get into it, um, a lot of times 
something other happens. And um, uh, yeah, you know, uh, our ancestors called that, you know, spirits. I think that could be God. Uh, but that, you know, whether or not you have those moments or not, I think is no excuse to not do your job. So hopefully that was a, you know, a politician enough sort of answer for you. <laughs> depends, depends what your definition of is, is Kelton. <laughs> Let's talk about the definition of is <laughs> yeah. for a time. Was... <laughs> Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Um, I do like that kind of take on it and, and Pressfield's take on it as well. Even though I don't, I wonder if now how he would kind of define it or, or describe it after so long after having written that amazing book about the muse and, and whatnot. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Uh, we could ask him. Uh, <laughs> we should. Okay. Yeah. Um, it would be interesting. At the same time, I mean, he wrote that book after ha having a lot of success, you know, writing yeah. military fiction, writing these books that, you know, got turned into screenplays and uh, and turned into like, okay, movies. Yeah. But um, it, it would be, um, it would be interesting. Whenever I talk to him, I just go, man, like he's an artist. Like he is, he is that beautiful blend of people who believe in the sacred creative act and at the same time just you know work their asses off and yeah. like that that's that's the paradox to me uh, whether or not the muse comes is not your job uh, but when she comes you you know give her a little kiss say thanks um and then just keep doing it yeah. and, and the people who like sit around waiting for you know the breath of god to be breathed into their lungs are kidding themselves because my understanding is that's not the way creativity works. And my deeper understanding is that's not the way God works. Yeah. Well, 
let's, uh, I mean, I feel like you've covered this, uh, but what do you, what makes a writer great? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that a hard question? I, I, I've been sort of obsessed with Hemingway recently. Uh, uh, there's a great five part biography by a guy named Michael Lewis. And these books read like novels. They're just like some biography is just drudge drudgery. I was reading John Adams by David McCullough. He's a great writer, but man, that is a that's a that's a big book. It's like a thousand pages. I mean, that's the thing that that HBO turned into you know a million year miniseries. Uh, but I'm reading these books by Michael Lewis, and I guess that's probably you know it's it's five books that are several hundred pages. So I guess that's probably over a thousand word, uh, pages too. But they're just so fun to read, and he had such an interesting life. So I'm reading all this stuff by this great writer, and there's this, you know, egocentric, prideful part of me that goes, "How do I? How do I do this? Like, how do I be remembered? How do I? How do I influence people? You know, 75 years later, um, who are reading my books, thinking I'm a genius. And um, you know, the short answer is, I don't know. Um, nobody knows. Is it luck? Is it magic? Um, I don't know, but what I've started doing recently, I sure, I just started reading Moby Dick. Mm. I never read that book before. Um, and Hemingway was pretty acquainted with a lot of, you know, American writers, Twain, Melville. Um, I mean, these are sort of these the great American writers before him. And, uh, you know, we've all heard these stories about people who were, you know, basically unknown in their day and now they're they're famous. Um, Melville is one of those people. He was a failed writer and he only, he only wrote for like 10 years and then he died poor and he wrote Moby Dick and, you know, and it got discovered after his death and became this, you know, work of genius. And it's a really good, fun book to read. So I'm reading this book and, um, there is a book by Hemingway called Green Hills of Africa. And it's about like his, his first big game safari, um, that, you know, he must've been 30 or something, or, you know, even younger than that, took his second wife out to Africa, to Kenya for a few months and started, you know, hunting this big game. And he wrote a, a memoir basically about it. And in that book, he's talking about this. And then he's, he's kind of like criticizing all of these writers who've come before him and, you know, Twain, Melville, uh, all these other writers. And it's, I mean, it's pretty audacious to do, you know, <laughs> um, it would be like, um, this is not a fair comparison, uh, but it would be like, uh, I don't know. It would be like Malcolm Gladwell or something saying, uh, you know, Jack Kerouac wasn't that great. <laughs> you know, like, what? How, like, even if that's true, like, how do you, like, how could you say that? So, you know, he, he does it. He kind of takes these shots at, at these other writers. He did, he did that a lot, you know, throughout most of his life. Yeah. And it's just, it's interesting to read. So I'm reading this and now I'm going back and reading Moby Dick and I'm going, Wait a second. Uh, like Hemingway's borrowing techniques from Melville. Like it's it's very clear uh, <laughs> like when, he, when he uses the second person, for example. And you know, I'm sure Melville wasn't the only person to do it. But I know Hemingway read Melville, and I know, and I'm reading Moby Dick, and he's describing something like, um, uh, you know, so um, you know, uh, when you go into this bar, you, you know, you, you walk up to the bartender and you tell him, hey, you know, where's the Where's the bathroom or whatever? <clears throat> and using the second person like that, you did this, you did this. But really yeah. what he's talking about is I did this, right? Hemingway does that all the time. He does it especially in A Movable Feast. Isn't it interesting how you ask me a question? And I, it, hopefully these anecdotes are interesting because they're sure not <laughs> answers. <laughs> I like it. So 
Hemingway was great, but I'm realizing that he borrowed from all these other people and frankly got in some ways, I mean, Moby Dick's a big, big deal, but in some ways Hemingway got more credit during his lifetime for the work of other people that he appropriated to his own work, Mm. you know, and that's that, you know, whole Austin Kleon steal like an artist thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, he did a lot of, he borrowed from Gertrude Stein a lot, who was sort of a mentor to him and they had this falling out later on in life. So I think that what makes a writer great sometimes is circumstance, which is out of our control. Um, But, you know, so like, what do I do? Do I just go steal from a bunch of writers and, you know, then like, you know, just live this bigger, larger than, than life kind of life and hope for the best or, or what do I do? And I think what makes a writer great is being able to pull from other people's work to be influenced by the larger domain of writing, you know, to go back to this me high chick sent me high definition of creativity to borrow from other people's work. So you understand like the way things are right now. What Mm. does good writing look like right now? And borrowing these other techniques in a way where you borrow from enough people and you create something new and original and unique and then you build upon it. And whether or not you're remembered, whether or not you're acknowledged, as much as we all want those things and like those things and there are smart ways that we can, you know, get more acknowledged for those things. I'm not a purist in the sense that I go, oh, just just do your work and, and history will sort it out. I think there are smart things that you can do. Like have a website, have an email list, not hard. But that in and of itself will make you great. What I think makes you great is having the ability to understand what are the rules right now? What does like good writing look like right now? How do I hit that base level skill and then how do I build upon it? And I think that there are essentially uh, two camps of writers right now. There are the people who are just following the rules and they're going, oh, you can't do that without realizing that literature, especially, and all great writing uh, tends to be people taking something old and doing something new with it. And then there are the people who are so avant-garde, who think they're so original, um, that, that are just doing weird stuff for the sake of being weird and different mm-hmm. and, and don't understand the rules. And for me, greatness is always about learning the rules so that you can break them, mm-hmm. uh, understanding how the system works, so then you can use the system against itself. And I, I see lots of, I mean, Warhol did that, right? Was he was he a genius or was he just off his rocker? You know, because like, was he really an artist or was he a business, was he an entrepreneur? Was he, you know, just <laughs> some, like, well, and that was his, that was the genius of his art was to keep you uh, guessing. And I think great art, great writing is about understanding what does this look like? What's expected in my genre, in my business, in my niche? And then how do I do something original that turns people's heads, that changes that domain in some way, big or small? Those are the things that, that get me up in the morning, not how much money can I make, uh, I think about that. I have those questions, you know, I, I, I have those conversations with my team. Uh, like I worry about that. But when I think about what it means to be great, my primary concern is how do I do something new? And the way that I do something new is by understanding what has been done thus far and how do I build on that something old? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that, um, analogy and, uh, remix culture and, and kind of the idea that everything is a remix is very, very apropos. It made me think of, just when you were talking about Andy Warhol, the, uh, that fantastic documentary, um, Exit Through the Gift Shop, 
which if you haven't seen... I haven't, but I, you're like the third person that's recommended to me. Yeah, it's just a really, really um, fascinating story. I'll link to it, but it is uh, about Banksy and yeah. an artist who kind of basically remixed <laughs> what he was doing <laughs> on a very large stage and made a lot of money doing it. Um, so it's an interesting story. But moving on, um, do you have a couple uh, favorite authors right now? That are that are from right now? <laughs> uh, no, not necessarily. Just uh, any anybody aside from McCullough um, that you're just kind of stuck on right now. Yeah, um, uh, my friend Chase Reeves asked me this question: like, who are you following right now? And I was like, you mean other than dead guys? He's like, oh yeah, gotta love the dead guys. But like, who's doing what you're doing right now that you know is challenging you? And uh, it's hard because you know I'm sort of stuck in these. I feel like in these two different worlds. There's the writing, publishing world. And then there's the, um, uh, uh, the online business world, you know, online marketing world. And there are two different tribes and, you know, some of the work that you do kind of puts you, you know, in, in these two different tribes and they don't talk to each other very much. They don't, sometimes they don't even like each other. Um, and I get both. Right. So, um, I love Seth Godin. I mean, I just, I like that everything he does. I, f I think I kind of, kind of finally get it where I realize everything he does is not just the thing that he's doing, it's a comment about the whole, you know, the whole of the work that he's doing, the body of work about, about the industry, about the status quo, everything he does is making a statement. And if you don't recognize that you're, you're missing the point of his work, I think. Mm. Um, I love Gladwell. Uh, some people, you know, disparage him, you know, those are, tend to be on the sort of the more scientific side, but I just think he's, he did something original. <clears throat> he, he took the self-help book, <laughs> he took, um, academic research and he made it very popular. He took a self-help book and he made it literary hmm. and he took academic research and he made it popular. And lots of people are writing books, uh, like his, uh, you know, and, and he built on a lot of other people's work, but, Everybody who's doing that now, I mean, from what I can tell, I mean, he, he did it first and, or he at least did it bigger than anybody had done it before. So I think that's, that's really admirable. Um, who am I reading besides, uh, besides that, that are living people? I basically read classics. I read a lot of novels cause that's where you find great writing. Hmm. Um, and then, uh, I, I read, read a handful of, Novels and a lot of like you know business books and stuff. Um, I don't know. I'll have to pull up an app or something. <laughs> but yeah, um, David McCullough is 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 good. Um, uh, some books that I read recently are um, I read a Walt Disney biography by Neil Gabler, uh, which was a one of the best biographies I've ever read. Hmm. I like I like Walter Isaacson. I like what you know he's written with um, all the biographies that he's done. Um, Hmm. Yeah, that's that's not it. But I, I I used to read single authors. Now I just read a lot of different kinds of um, kinds of books. So this might dovetail into the question: paper or ebook? I I love the efficiency of ebook. I still have like I just bought like a hundred books on. Uh, on paper. <clears throat> so they're in my office. I'm, re I'm doing a bunch of research for my next book and they're just all here. You know, a, a writer that I really liked, I read this two-part biography of Elvis by him is uh, Peter Goralnik, hmm. who uh, 
he he did um, he did a he's 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 an old like music critic, and he did a two part biography of Elvis that was incredible, and the first book is called Last Train to Memphis, and um, he's writing a book about a guy named Sam Phillips who discovered Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis and Johnny Cash and all these all these people, and he was this really cool impresario, rainmaker kind of guy in in Memphis, um, you know, during the nineteen forties, fifties, and sixties. So he's he's really good. I like I like journalists turned authors. I, I like that that style of writing. Mm-hmm. I just I love print books. I've been buying a lot of older books, and uh, they just I want I want the old typeset books. I mean they're mm-hmm. they're that old. They're just they're a work of art. They're really really beautiful. I got this I got this book called The Agony and the Ecstasy. It's a it's a biography of Michelangelo. I read a lot of biography apparently. By a guy named Irving Stone, and I got you know I went to Amazon, and they've got you know whatever the um, you know the mass market paperback, and I'm like no no, no I need to find uh, a hardcover, and so I had to go to their used section and find the used copy of the book, and I and I order it, and this is beautiful, you know beautiful old cloth bound book. Uh, by the way, Irving Stone writes these biographical novels of people like Michelangelo. Uh, who else did he do? He did. Um, uh, Vincent Van Gogh. Um, he did several several people like that. Anyway, I get this book. It's like it was like twenty bucks. I mean, it was I mean it was decent uh, shipping and handling included. So I get this book in the mail. I open it up. It's you know looking at the typography, all of the typography, uh, the pages, all that stuff. Put it down. Don't look at it for a while. It's sitting on my desk. So then I pick it up. You know, a few days later, I start reading. It, open up to the like the first page, and it's autographed. By wow. Irving Stone. And this guy, I mean, this guy, this book came out in 1960 something. I mean, he's dead. And I was like, this is why I love print books. And this is why I probably will always have print books on my shelf. But for me now, it's if the book is a commodity, if it's a means to an end, if it's just, I just want to, I just want to consume that information. I'll get, typically I'll get the audio book because I can, I can pound through that pretty quickly listening to it at 3x speed or I'll get the digital just to have it on my Kindle. Uh, but if, if I, if I want to, if I just want the book as a work of art, I'm ordering the hardcover only. So, uh, which is hard because books are being made more and more cheaply these days, you know, for lots of reasons. But I think it will create a demand for, and you've seen, we've seen some of this already. It'll create a demand for, if you're going to create a physical book, it needs to be a beautiful, well-made, you know, craftsman level kind of creation. Absolutely. So, well, your own book is, uh, I love the cover, by the way, Thanks. is chock full of some, some great uh, wisdom and quotes. Do you have one that sticks out for, for uh, listeners? I think the, um, the, the big takeaway of the book, the thing that like, everybody gets stuck with, well, how am I going to figure this out? What's my calling? What am I supposed to do with my life? I think the book in a nutshell and a you know, tweetable is clarity comes with action. Uh, most people are waiting for clarity. They want to know. They want an epiphany. This is why I sort of go, I don't know about the muse, like not the way that people think about it. Um, like they want something to happen to them so that they can go do their work. And the reality is clarity comes with action, that you don't wait for clarity before you act, before you take that next brave step to, you know, in your life's work. But rather, um, you have to act your way into clarity. Mm. Yeah, like that a lot. So let's do a couple more fun ones since we already did the uh, the ebook question. 
Who's your favorite literary character of all time, would you say? If you had to pick one, I'm sure you have many. Well, uh, the first one that comes to mind is Aslan the Lion from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, he's great. And uh, I, I like that there, I mean, if you read the whole series, at one point he turns into a lamb. You know, there are these different sort of manifestations of, of, of his character. Mm. Um, good character, lots of wisdom. It's a good character. I never saw those movies, but... Uh, well, those weren't great. <laughs> I did read the books as a, as a rather small child. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So uh, if you could choose one author from any era for an all-expense-paid dinner to your favorite spot, where would you go and with whom would you dine? This is a tough one. Part of me wants to take Hemingway, like I want to pay Hemingway to take me some some place that he would go in like Key West or Paris or something because yeah. those are stomping grounds. But I think that might not be fun. Like <laughs> he was pretty, like he was an alpha male kind of aggressive, you know, dude, I'm sure we would like drink a lot and, you know, do all the Hemingway-ish things. Um, but I don't know how much fun it'd be. I think it'd be more fun to um, yeah, go to Paris with F. Scott Fitzgerald, who, who knew how to party, was very gregarious, uh, you know, fun guy, an alcoholic, uh, unfortunately. So we like, we'd go party when he, you know, was had one of his bouts of so sobriety, uh, <laughs> his, his wife, Zelda was mentally ill. So we might, might just do like a, like a, a guy thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that'd be fun. Okay. <laughs> he's an interesting, he's an interesting guy to me. Cause, um, uh, he peaked early and then and then kind of fizzled out for the rest of his life. Went to Hollywood, started screenwriting, and yeah. and he was he was that sort of tortured artist. But um, really, I mean, a, a genius. I love I love the Great Gatsby's great writer. Um, and I think it'd be it'd be fun. Some writers are not fun. He'd be fun. Yeah, that's a good one. So, uh, in addition to your uh, rare book collection that you're amassing there, um, <laughs> do you have any other writers? Kind of fetishes. Oh, like uh, weird, weird writerly things. I don't know. Yeah, I I feel like a lot of writers do have uh, something, and maybe it's not like in the forefront of their minds, but they do have it somewhere. And then you ask them about, it, they're like, "Oh wait, I do have that one weird uh, thing that I collect or have by my desk." I I buy a lot of notebooks that I never fill because <laughs> I because I like the look of a notebook. Yeah more than the, the act of putting that words in them. And I'm just like, oh, I'll just, I'll just write it on my computer or something. 
Like I feel this 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 weird this attraction to moleskin notebooks and leather bound notebooks. And I'll carry them around with me, um, and then I won't put any. And like occasionally, I'll put an, but I, ne- I put a note in them or something. But I never fill them. I never complete the notebook. You know. So whenever I hear people like, um, I feel like Todd Henry or Austin Kleon, they talk about this. They're like, oh, I have, I have libraries full of notebooks that I fill, and I'm like, I feel this shame of being uncreative because I, I try to do this, and then like I write it for like, you know half a day and then just put it somewhere and then buy one six months later. Yeah. I, d- I do that. The other thing I do, and uh, I hope I'm not the only one who admits to watching Gilmore Girls, but... Uh, <laughs> my wife's favorite show. <laughs> yeah, my wife's too. But, what? Um, <laughs> 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 uh, we, when our son, when our son was just born, we watched a bunch of those shows. It was my wife's favorite show and I pretended not to like it for a while. But it's, pretty sharp and it's very witty and the dialogue, the writing is great. And there are all these, um, pop culture and cultural, um, even literary references that my wife won't always catch and I'll catch it. And I'll go, Oh, that's funny. Anyway, in the show, Rory, the, the daughter, um, she always carries a book around with her in her purse. And my wife was like, you do that too. You know, sans purse, you know, <laughs> substitute man satchel. And I do that. I have this weird, almost like OCD. Like I went to lunch with a friend today and I took a book with me and I, and I didn't open the book, but it was like, just in case he was late, I would read, I would, you know, read a section of this book called Among the Bohemians, Experiments in Living 1900 and 1939. <laughs> Cause like, if you're going to go into a coffee shop, you need to have a book like that with you. But it's a weird compulsion. And sometimes I'll take like six books with me because I have a hundred books right now just sitting on a table right now saying, read me. And (laughs) this is not like I literally bought a hundred books and my wife sat me down and was like, we got to talk about your book budget. You're out of control. (laughs) And I was like, no, like it'll be great. And I'll get a big book advance and it'll, and you'll just be so thankful that I spent hundreds of dollars on these (laughs) books. But those are two things. I mean, those are kind of weird, especially the, the, I just have to have a book with me. Hmm. Yeah. I'm someone who takes um, like a, a several books on a plane and won't like, we'll just read a couple pages of each, but won't really make any headway whatsoever. This is, this is why a Kindle for me is dangerous. Like, hmm. cause I've got like, you know, 900 books on that thing. Uh, and probably more than that. Um, <laughs> a lot more than that, honestly. Uh, but I got all these books on there. I'm like, oh, I need to read this and I'm going to jump around that. I don't really feel like it's like I'm flip. I'm changing channels, you know, whereas if I have a hardcover book, I go, well, got to read this. Yeah. Yeah. And there is something different about that attention. Uh, as you, as you noted, um, with the paper book, you're kind of more engrossed, I think personally, but yeah. Well, um, that brings us to, I think, you know, I, you've offered so much advice on this podcast. We've gone, um, far over the half hour that I usually, <laughs> Sorry. But, oh, it's no. It's terrible. It's I, remember, I remember the, like, what is this? What did you call this? I got to read it right here. This is this is a fast-paced podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fast-paced. Good. Right. Good deal. Good thing I, I spent 15 minutes telling you anecdotes about Ernest Hemingway. Well, it's, it's a funny thing because, yeah, <laughs> no, I should actually uh, strike that from the, the record entirely. Yeah, it's my because no, but it's it's great because I think what I realized when when we started the podcast was that writers just want to talk, and <laughs> yeah. and it's okay. I mean, I, I think it's actually kind of like therapeutic in a, in a sense, yeah, and a lot of these is. podcasts do end up kind of kind of being like that. Um, 
but they're great. And I really appreciate you coming on and, and taking the time. Um, but you have offered so much advice already for fellow writers. Do you have, do you have any other just um, points that to offer to writers to kind of keep, keep going? Yeah, well, you just said it. I mean, I really think the best advice is don't quit. And if you're just starting, I know that sounds sort of ridiculous, or even if you're kind of in the middle, you're going, oh, like, I'm fine. Uh, but if you watch enough people and if you live enough life, you realize, like, this really is. This is, like, one of the most important ingredients for success in anything is that the people who are dogged enough to just keep going are often are the ones who tend to win. They tend to, they tend to succeed. And, um, it's so easy to quit. You know, it's so easy to go, Oh, I tried that for a while. It didn't work. And, um, you know, some people are late bloomers. Some people, you know, are precocious and, and succeed earlier. Um, but if you just keep with it, like, I think you eventually win. I had this mantra that I would tell myself, um, early on, cause I just would, I'd get jealous of other people's success and I'd go, Oh, like they got lucky cause they knew such and such, or, you know, they already had this network or they lived in New York or something. Um, you know, so, you know, those people got lucky or I look at other people and go, man, like they just like were really like gifted and I'm not that gifted and I got started later and I'm never going to be able to catch up to that. And so I would tell myself, um, like, what does that matter? Like, like I just kind of have this like come to Jesus moment with myself where I was like, that doesn't affect what you have to do today. And, and I just reminded myself, um, you can outwork the lazy, the people who just have gifts, but don't, you know, work as hard as everybody else. You can outwork the lazy and you can outlast the lucky, the people who just got lucky, but, you know, don't realize the gift that they've been given. And if, and if they just ride that luck out, it doesn't last forever. And so that was, I mean, you know, that was sort of a, a mantra for me for a, a while, you know, uh, outwork the lazy, outlast the lucky, just keep going. And mm. I think that is the difference between good writers and bad writers is the bad writers eventually quit and the good writers keep going. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. A perfect place to wrap up here. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for jumping on here um, and wrapping with me at length. Uh, in addition to the uh, best-selling Art of Work, which looks like it is available uh, in many, many um, reputable booksellers, where else can writers uh, connect with you out there? Go to my blog, goinswriter.com, like coins, but with a G, G-O-I-N-S, writer.com. And uh, we're giving away um, the first couple chapters of The Art of Work, plus a bunch of other fun, uh, bedazzled things. Uh, on my blog, you just sign up for my email list. You'll get one weekly newsletter um, every week. And you'll get the first two chapters to The Art of Work. If you like it, you can you know go buy it wherever fine books are sold. I think it's like 10 bucks on Amazon. But yeah, that's, that's the best place to find me, find my work, and you know learn about these fun books and fancy words that I write, goinswriter.com. Excellent, excellent. Well, congratulations on your successes and uh, best of luck with uh, your upcoming projects, speaking, blogging, entrepreneurship. What don't you do? One thing. I don't do one thing. That's what I don't do. <laughs> <laughs> the dishes now. Oh, I do the dishes. Oh, okay. So I'm, all about the, I'm all about the dishes. <laughs> okay, good. Well, thanks again. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. And hopefully we will get a chance to wrap with you again sometime in the future.
totally my pleasure. Congratulations on hopefully the longest episode you've ever done. <laughs> and I, I, as my red hair uh, indicates, I love rapping. I am a rap rapper. Oh, we'll look forward to your album. <laughs> and um, hopefully, hopefully uh, writers and listeners will have stayed tuned uh, this yeah. far. And if they have, kudos to them, really. Kudos to you well for done. listening <laughs> this well, long. <laughs> well done on, on out, outlasting the lazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll wrap it up there and uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for joining me for this half of a tour through the writer's process. A quick reminder that the Writer Files podcast will be taking the last week of the year off, but we will return with new guests in January. Season three writer interviews include Emma Donahue, bestselling author and Golden Globe nominated screenwriter of Room, Adam Skolnick, award-winning journalist and author of One Breath, New York Times bestselling author and New Yorker columnist Maria Konnikova, horror writer Jonathan Jans, best-selling thriller writer Mark Dawson, and celebrity poet Tyler Not Gregson, to name just a few. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave me a rating or a review to help other writers to find us. And for more episodes or just to leave a comment or a question, simply drop by writerfiles.fm. You can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you soon. <laughs>